You're listening to episode 81 of Pasa Chipotle. I'm your host, Rocío Carvajal, food anthropologist, Mexican culture and gastronomy educator. And on this podcast, I explore the gastronomic traditions of Mexico and bring together the voices of cooks, authors and entrepreneurs who build cross-cultural bridges around the world, championing Mexican food. You can find more information about my podcast's publications and subscribe to my newsletter on my website, passagepotle.com, or simply click the link on this episode's notes. In recent years, food writing has become something very fashionable. And by that, we could say that it has been hyper-commercialized and turned increasingly superficial. Now, having said that, it is also true that depending on what kind of food writing we talk about is how meaningful, relevant and useful it is. Modern technology has really lowered the threshold of accessing tools of dissemination, and we really only need a computer or a smartphone to create and share content, which has indeed enabled many voices that would otherwise be unheard to reach a global audience, from the home cook to the activist, the farmer, scholar and journalist. The diversity of voices has been a refreshing and much-needed change. What has taken me away from the microphone these past weeks is, well, a combination of a lot of traveling, filming and archival research. The latter has been very exciting and somehow related to this episode. If you have followed my stories on Instagram, you will have seen that I've been working at the Archivo General de la Nación, or the Nation's General Archive, the AGN, that is located at the former prison of Lecumberri in the city of Mexico. And I was also working at the historical archive of the city of Mexico, just a few blocks away from Templo Mayor and the Palace of Fine Arts. The subject of the research is broadly related to temperance movements, anti-alcoholic leagues, criminality, laws and regulations concerning the consumption, um, distribution, selling of alcohol during the American invasion of Mexico between 1847 and 48. And there's another chunk of period that runs from the end of the 19th century to the 1940s. This, however, is not a project of mine, but I am collaborating with this fascinating and drunken adventure that is led by my dear friend Dr. Deborah Turner from the University of Leicester, head of the Drinking Studies Network. The broad spectrum of food studies, you see, has many adventures. Some take us to the past, some into the present, And inevitably, they all lead towards the future. Drinks are also a hugely important part of our culinary traditions, social practices, beliefs. And if we dig deeper, we find that they also give representation and means of expression to diverse groups and sectors of our societies. 
They speak and portray specific values, beliefs, practices. Because, well, foodstuffs can offer a window into aspects such as economy, environmental studies, social relations, rituals, technology, culinary techniques, the cultural construction of flavors and preferences. Well, the possibilities are endless. And that is precisely the maze in which my guest today, Salvador Cueva, or Shava, found himself in, when, camera in hand, he got behind the wheel and went off to start a journey documenting traditional drinks of Mexico. This adventure ended up becoming, well, the beginning of a transformative experience, and as a result he published the book Beverages of Oaxaca, or in Spanish, Bebidas de Oaxaca. And after that, he launched a spin-off podcast called Bebidas de México, which, as you will hear, is part of the broader and upcoming project of Shaba. Salvador has a degree in communications and is a professional photographer from Ensenada, Baja California. The origins of his current project documenting traditional drinks from Mexico, which, by the way, they include alcoholic and non-alcoholic beverages, started a few years ago when he lived in Canada, proving that is, well, absolutely true that leaving your own homeland and experiencing different cultures and environments can give you the opportunity, of course, if you're willing to take it, to have a different understanding and relationship with your own culture and identity. And this certainly was the case for Shava, who has a real sensibility not only to capture beautiful documental photography, but also to communicate the stories of the people and communities behind our long-standing gastronomic traditions. As always, all the links and details to reach out to my guest, follow his work on social media, get his book and subscribe to his podcast and newsletter are on the notes of this episode, which you can find on the very app you are using to listen to me right now. Well, I think we are all set to start. So let's get on with the show. I hope you enjoy this episode. Salvador, Shava, oh my goodness, I have been chasing you for so long and I am so excited to finally have you here on the uh, remote studio of Paz Chipotle. Uh, you are so very welcome here. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks a lot to you, Rocio. I'm very happy to be part of your podcast and I'm very happy that you find the project. One project that I'm very proud is kind of my baby and I'm very happy to talk about it. Of course, when I am so excited. Uh, well, you know, over the years, there's something like an itch that has become increasingly uh, relevant in my work, in my research, and I find some similarities uh, with your work. And uh, in my case, I think it's the ideological construction of cultural heritage, of what we call in Espanol patrimonio, and specifically something that I'm kind of not very comfortable and worried about is how, you know, something that started with this idea of studying traditions started transitioning into kind of an obsession in like preserving culture. We need to protect it. We need to preserve it. 
as if it was something you can like, you know, encapsulate like in amber, you know, like a mosquito. <laughs> and then and then use these uh, traditions as cultural assets to generate income through cultural tourism or, you know, to commodify, to, to sell it. And, you know, obviously, you know, these implications and consequences of just giving license uh, to countries with national policies to use cultural practices as commodities. Well, it's very dangerous and has led to all sorts of, in my opinion, abuses that go from cultural extraction, appropriation, and even bastardization of these traditions. No? And something that I really, you know, I was very giddy. I was like, yes, 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 when I was reading your book, that you are very clear about the fact that uh, in your baby, as you call it, this first of many books, I hope, baby, that's the Oaxaca, you say this. Uh, again and again, that it is not a, a recipe book, despite of containing the recipes to prepare each and every of the drinks that you have documented. Uh, because in the pages of this work, what people will find is that you have documented very carefully and, may I say, very warmly, glimpses of mm-hmm. our very rich and long-standing culinary practices. So I have a lot that I want to know and ask but let's take it easy let's go slowly and let's try and unpack this idea why don't you start sharing with us what is the main difference that you wanted to create that to establish you know with your book that sets Mm. your work apart from everything else that is going on around food yeah it's now it's a different story because I began with an idea to just to travel but before we get that, I want to talk about the risk and we need to be very careful if we are like outsiders of a town, of a country, going there, taking a picture, sell the picture, or like me going there, making a book, sell the book. And there is a lot of more people from other countries doing the same thing, not like a book, but going there, take a knowledge about ceramic technology about um, weaving knowledge about food knowledge about everything the mexican culture is in oaxaca and everything that we take i think like we need to give them like twice or triple or even more that what we are receiving it's not like i discovered this beverage that beverage has been there for for many years i just travel and i want to make a a story of it but yeah that's why i want to say like we need to be very careful if we are foreigners in a place that is the mexico profundo deep mexico we need to be very careful because sometimes we have the naive idea that they are poor but it's the opposite and we have the idea oh we should give them money we should build them church school, things that we think that they're going to help them. But we don't stop and ask them what are the needs that they have. And I started with that idea too when I when I just arrived in Oaxaca. Like, like I'm going to troll, I'm going to take pictures, I'm going to share in a book, and I hope I'm going to share the sales with them. But I was very wrong about it because the money ran away very fast. So I decided to stop that kind of help and not giving money but tell them like 
The pictures are yours. The book is yours. You can do with this as like to help them promote their business. It's like a promotion. And there is a lady in a market. She asked me, well, specific, I want to put these pictures in my toll in the market. How much it costs? And I said, no, these pictures are yours. And I'm repeating this with a lot of people that appear on the book. Like I said, I didn't discover anything. I didn't find anything. And they didn't need my help. Even I'm Mexican, but I'm from the north, I'm from Ensenada, and I'm still a foreign in Oaxaca because it's another Mexico, it's another world. And they look at me like a foreign, no matter how much time I spend there, I have now four years, but I still feel like a foreign. So because of that, it's good. It's not a bad thing. I need to be very careful and respectful with the information that I share to the world and because Sharing a lot of information could be dangerous also for a town. That could be the worst thing that could happen uh, thanks to my, to my book. Everything for me in this project was new. It was my first book. It was my first journey going by myself, just with my backpack. Also, one thing is take pictures and write to make a book. Another thing way different is try to sell the book. And that is another big story that we can talk later no, no, no. I'm, well, we have a lot of time to explore many other things, but I like how we started jumping straight into the deeper uh, side of the pool with these big discussions that I think we need to have more and more. And we need to be more comfortable as Mexicans also talking about this. We, we often just focus, you know, cultural extraction towards transnationals. You know, what if Zara is extracting Mexican embroidery or what if Rick Bayless is extracting recipes from whatever and selling in his restaurants? And what if, what if? Mm-hmm. Well, what if us, Mexicans, you know, middle-class Mexicans, mestizos, who are not indigenous, who are urban, and then for whatever reason, we, you know, get some interest in, in exploring whatever uh, place and region of our very big country. Oh, yes. And we can fall into the same trap of being very arrogant, like you say. Uh, well, you didn't say with this word, but, you know, I think it's, you know, cultural arrogance and not being respectful, also looking at them down, like you said, like they're less, like they're poor, that they that they need our help. Just, you know, instead of being a white savior, being a white second savior. And mm-hmm. that's exactly the same mistake. We don't realize yes. that many of us Mexicans are doing. So thank you very much for jumping straight yes, there. And, and, and <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a very real problem and danger right yeah and it's very on the surface now in Oaxaca and Chiapas Michoacán there's a lot of states that people from Mexico from the north especially or from even from the center it could be from any place but we, we seem like we are the owners it's not the case and also you mentioned about the recipes that every time I mention it's not a recipe book because it, it was the way to approach to these people because they didn't know me it was very hard at the beginning so it was very hard like a foreign guy they think a lot of uh, you are a foreign you are an extranjero because of that i didn't want to ask for the recipes because that is very intrusive that is very intimate it's a family recipe so that is is gold i didn't want to ask for that because it's not my place to ask for the recipe. A lot of chefs is doing now. And it's like, you need to give them something. It's not like you need to pay them. It's not like, okay, I'm going to ask about your recipe and I'm going to make a book. That's why I decided 
This book is not about recipe at all. I didn't put like milligrams or size or I didn't put techniques in this book. I just mentioned the way that people prepare this beverage, the thing that I saw in the place. How do they cook? How do they put the things on the stove, on the comal? How do they grind the ingredients? How do they roast it? Everything. And like a narrative, like a story. This text I sent to the people who appear on that story. Like, let me know if I miss something, but you're the first person that I want to be happy with this text. I sent this text to Ricardo. He was the guy who had this value information. I'm not like an expertise in anything by now. It's like I'm an expertise of the thing that I like. I put all my effort to make this this book. May may I object to that and say that we we have the same bachelor's degree where we both studied communications. For whatever reason, uh, we find ourselves now in this culinary path. And although initially I did not view myself as a cook, as a, as an author, as a podcaster, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, life and my work has put me there. And you know what? I have to own it, and I own it like a badge of honor. Because it's a big responsibility and and you, my friend, even begrudgingly, you are that now. And I think you're doing a splendid job, so own it. But I appreciate also the humility that you have in saying that, you know, it's a working process. We are a, a working process ourselves. So the whole idea of transitioning from being a photographer, you know, there were many decisions involved in the process. And obviously uh, you realized how big the project was. Did you have at some point some influences, maybe not necessarily of books, I mean, could have been books along the way or even now that have like sort of shown you like, oh, right, now for the next book, I can do this or that? Um, at the beginning, no, I started like uh, very blind. <laughs> and at the middle of my travel in Oaxaca, I discovered an amazing book. This book is about clay, barro. Barro y fuego is the name of the book oh of course i know that book yeah. it's freaking amazing that book and the project okay okay i'll let you yes go yeah so go this, i find this book not by myself because for this project first i want to disconnect of everything that i have like external influence because i want to make mm -hmm. something be very happy i want to make this project to me i want to be proud of this project and even if i didn't do this project i want that this product i want to see the product and could be happy for that for the result so that's why i didn't want to have these influences but then in one uh, brewery in oaxaca i meet a, a couple this is funny because people who know me in oaxaca they know that i never mentioned that oh i'm I'm Bebidas the Oaxaca guy. I never mentioned that. It's like a imposter syndrome, but also it's like I don't want to say that because people change the perspective and change how do they treat you when they know who you are. So um, I was in the brewery and they mentioned this book, Stefano and Aurora is, is the name of the couple. They have a cafe an amazing cafe in Oaxaca called Marito and Moje. So they, they mentioned the book and they say, okay, we're going to bring you this book. And this book is about one guy who decided to travel around Oaxaca to take pictures and take stories of, of the clay that they use for kitchen tools in Oaxaca. 
a couple of days after that, I went to their house and they lent me the book. And I was very amazed with every page that I was reading. I see the book, I read, I take a lot of pictures. I was like, I want to make something beautiful. This is like kind of my guy because Eric Mindling is a really good friend now, the author of, of the book. And we said now like we are kind of um, brothers because we share a lot of similarities together in our life in Oaxaca. I saw the book and I was, okay, this is going to be my path. I want to give to the people a map at the end of the book and that map could help them. It's not very specific, but you have the names of the towns and you have the names of the regions. Obviously, you have more influences, but I, I'm not aware of it. Everything is, is influencing your your work. So I just can mention Barro y Fuego of Eric Mindling. That is an amazing book. And he also have another book. I forget the name, but it's about textiles in Oaxaca. It's an amazing photographer. We make an exchange of books the day before of the launch of the book in Oaxaca. And he said, I bring you my second book. I want to make you exchange with you. And I was like, of course, like, like even if you don't give me your book, I'm going to give you mine because you're part of my inspiration. And he was the first guy who opened an English book. It was amazing. So, I mean, it's kind of unfair for the listeners, this, because uh, let me give some context about this project, uh, Barro y Fuego, which is like a fire clay. It, it started very much like your project, documenting just that. But they, they realized very quickly, you know, that it was, they were touching lives. They were getting it like right in the middle of people's lives, of, of, of community dynamics. And, and then it just sprawled into getting in contact with other groups that are researching clay and pottery traditions. And then they started organizing uh, encounters between different artisans of different regions. And it grew into something like bigger and bigger. And they did the whole state of Oaxaca. And, not, and that sort of planted the seed to allow this to continue, not just documenting that, but putting these people in contact, creating these means of cross-pollination and between indigenous communities. I mean... It really grew into something very, very special. It then went on to become an exhibition, and that's how I met the project, in an exhibition that was uh, visiting here, the Museo Amparo in the city of Puebla. The book is out of print now, which is, that's why I say it's very unfair, because people will be like, oh my God, I need that book. Sorry, guys. However, there is a little leaflet of the exhibition, <clears throat> some PDF, uh, and I have it. So I'm going to put it on the on the links for today's uh, show in the description. And uh, I'm going to mention it on the newsletter. So people will get the chance to see why this project, you know, became so kind of uh, illuminating to you. Like it's very, very inspiring. And of all books and all projects, that was the one you needed to see. And well, sort of uh, stepping a little bit outside that um the, the book itself and, and sort of looking, you know, the broader picture of all the things you do before doing this book, you, you have had a career doing many other things and you still continue having a, a very diverse career. It takes a lot to do all the things you do, you know, as, as I know very well. And, you know, in this day and age, when, when we consume so much information through our phones, our computers, all around us without ever thinking about what it takes to produce all that information and content. So whether it is audio, video, digital or print, and for the past months, 
you have been dedicating a lot of time and effort promoting and sharing your work. Uh, just before we started recording, you were saying, well, one thing is to take the photos, then, oh my God, I need to make a book. Then you make the book and then like, oh my God, it's not going to sell on its own. I need to create content to, to sell. And, you know, it's just a snowball. You know, I subscribe to your newsletter. So like I follow you on all the things you have been doing lately. And I've noticed how it has become increasingly important for you, not only to share the result, but also what you are sharing is the why. Why did I do it? Why should you buy it? Why is it different? What did it take to make it? How it might change your life? You know, all, all the good questions, all the relevant questions, you know, the value that you are bringing. So you've been sharing what you have documented, all the process and, you know, your personal journey, even like really personal stuff, I think serves many purposes. Uh, you, you will tell us a bit now. I think it's serving the, the purpose of showing and educating people about the implications, first, of documenting cultural practices, which you've already uh, started talking about. Spoiler alert, research people is not synonymous with opening Google and typing a few words, you know. <laughs> and and even if you didn't have a clear idea when you, you know, packed your things in your bag and took your camera, when you started your journey, you realized very quickly that you needed to come up with a strategy and that you needed to be very disciplined and methodological about the process. And you've been establishing this difference between just visiting and then situate, I position myself as an outsider and I'm going to own the fact that I'm an outsider uh, and help the reader make sense of what I'm documenting. You know, this is also part of my work and part of what I do and in anthropology, in food anthropology specifically, there's three key elements we use when, when doing the type of research that you do. First, we take a very mindful position and sort of awaken in ourselves what is called a sense of bewilderment that is called in Espanol, extrañamiento, like to, to imagine that we forget about everything. We forget we're Mexican. We forget things are familiar. We just see things like if it was for the first time, like you said, you caught contact with everything because you didn't want to pollute your opinion. That's exactly it. So you're very intuitive. You should totally study food anthropology. So activate our sense of bewilderment, separating ourselves from our biases and our opinions as much as we can, and then start documenting like just what we see without any noise. Second, being very, very mindful about how we portray the perspective of the people we come in contact with. And just don't put any extra opinions on any of that. And third, when you go to writing, being very, very careful about how you express your own perspective. Because people are going to take your word as an authority. Whether you view yourself as an author or not, you are when you are in print. Again, I'm sure you have to take many decisions along the way about how did you want people to view your work? What did you want to portray? And... What did you want to say? How did you want to say it? Why did you want to say this or, or that way? What is the purpose now of the book, you think? The book that we have now, the book that is on digital, is a completely different story of the idea that I have, like, in 2018. I was living in Canada, in Vancouver specifically, when I decided to come back to Mexico I miss Mexico. My first idea was I just want to travel around my country, take pictures, and that's it. But it's like very ambiguous. I thought like, okay, I need to be more specific. What kind of pictures I want to take? What kind of places I want to visit? And one story 
brings me to an R, and at the end, I decide to take pictures of the traditional beverage of Mexico. The first idea was taking pictures just of the beverage, the beverage in a container, the beverage in a glass, of the beverage in a cup. Maybe because I came from a commercial photography is way different. So this was my first um, approach to documentary photography. So I came to Oaxaca with this idea, okay, I'm going to take uh, photos of the beverage. I'm going to travel after Oaxaca, Chiapas, Yucatan, Quintana Roo, and the rest of the south of Mexico. I was very naive because I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be in Oaxaca just two months max. I was writing the pictures need to have these ingredients. And then it, these uh, kitchen tools, nothing clear, nothing specific, because I didn't know how people prepare beverage in Oaxaca. I didn't have this knowledge before that in internet. I discovered that they repeat the same beverage, tequila, mezcal, and pulque. There is another information about a traditional beverage like I have in my mind. And this is very good because now I'm very aware, and a lot of people could be aware too, that not everything that we can find in the internet is the things that we can find in the real world. People think like, oh, because it's not an internet, it doesn't exist. We are very naive of that. I was because when I arrived in Oaxaca, I had... In my list, just 13 beverages to take pictures of them. 13. The book has 77, and there is a lot more. They are now, a lot of people are sharing that, and a lot of people are interested in the topic, and that is one of the goals. Uh, you mentioned what changed. So the first beverage changed everything of my perspective to how can I show the things that I, I saw. So my first beverage that I took pictures of it was Tejate, this beverage made of cacao and corn. Rosita de cacao is a flower and mamey seed. This is a very popular beverage in Oaxaca. So even people from states close to Oaxaca like Puebla or Mexico City or Guerrero, they sometimes they don't know what is a tejate. They need to go there. They need to go to the market. They need to try it. Tejate was my first beverage. I went to Lucrecia Ruiz. Lucrecia Ruiz is the lady who appears on the book. She's an amazing and lovely lady. I went to San Andres Guayapan. It's a town close to Oaxaca Center. She opened the door and I came into her house in the patio. I saw how she put the ingredients in these small jicaras, these small containers, and how she put all the ingredients in the ground with banana leaves, how she put the comal, uh, how she put everything. And I was I was feeling like before you cry, because you you feel very happy before that, that part. So I, I saw how she put everything in the patio. She just decided to put the ingredients like that because it's the way that she does. I just remember, I just take away uh, a big sign. This is very important. I needed to say this very uh, respectful for the people. If I saw a plastic of a bottle of uh, something like a soda, I need to ask very respectful if I can move that. I didn't want that. Uh, I mentioned sometimes this. The photos that appear on the book are plastic-free. So you cannot find a photo with plastic unless that is very necessary, like a kitchen tool. But the photos on the book... It's like, I could say like 99% plastic free. So I remove all this plastic of their houses and they are very kind. No one says to me like, no, you can move this. That's why sometimes it's like, it's part of documentary photography, but it's not like real documentary because 
I make a little change in documentary photography, you need to respect everything the way it is. So that's why it's part of, I'm documenting something, but it's not like documenting like a, a war photography. So I saw that in, in Lucretius and I, I saw at the moment, I want every beverage with this similar style like Lucrezia. So she changed my mind. It was my first approach to a comal. It was my first approach to how people roast the cacao and roast the corn and, and other ingredients. It was my first approach to everything in this uh, Oaxacan gastronomy. Everything was very new for me. So that's why I decided to change the style of my pictures and, and change the style of the narrative of the book. Because I have an interview with every person after they prepare the, the beverage. The first thing was, okay, I'm going to take pictures of the ingredients of you making the beverage. But at the end of that, I make an interview and she mentioned a lot of things that changed my perspective. She wasn't the only one. She mentioned something, I'm going to put words, but it was kind of similar. Like she said, now young people, they are not drinking tejate because they are preferred drinking soda. And I wasn't aware of that. I was like, oh, this is this is kind of serious. And a lot of people repeat me that, that story, like young people, they don't like traditional beverage because they rather go into the store and buy a soda or buy a juice or buy a beer or buy something in a plastic. And I was connecting these points. Like they also told me that the new generations, they are not interested in preparing these beverages because people are not buying these beverages anymore. And because people are not buying this beverage anymore, obviously they don't sell this beverage like they used to sell before. Like they don't obtain like a good profit of it. And I was, okay, I want to share this. So that changed the way that I that I wrote. Because um, I share this beverage, you can go to, the, to a specific town to buy it. Or this beverage, you can't buy it anymore. Or this beverage, you need to make this kind of ritual to drink it before. And it was the way to change my perspective at the beginning of this project. I, I see now exactly um, this shift because it's very, very palpable in your work. And well, again, for people who have not yet followed you on, on Instagram, for instance, uh, where you put a lot of videos and uh, reels where you are talking about the book, uh, talking about your work, uh, talking about your podcasts. I have to say something. Your work is very emotive. I can tell that you're putting a lot of uh, emotional commitment in what you do, that it matters to you. That is something that you profoundly care about. If, if people just watch your trailer for, for your book, like you get goosebumps all over. Like, and it's just images. It's very powerful, the work you do. You've been talking about precisely this, how commercial drinks, you know, uh, refrescos have been displacing traditional drinks and why. It's not okay, all the implications of it. Another thing that it changed at the end of this project, you mentioned that it was kind of a snowball of doing a lot of things. And that snowball hit me last year because as a photographer, you have a, a way on your back of the photos that you show to the world. Like It's the same as a writer. I share a lot, like you mentioned, photos, videos, and everything because I have a lot of material. I share an Instagram, but it was like people say you focus on one negative comment and you don't focus in like a hundred uh, comments. It was kind of a negative comment to mention. What are you giving to back to these people? And you're showing a lot of photos, you're showing a lot of videos, what they are obtained. So that hit me 
and I decided to stop the project last year. I was very tired. I also was the only person who packed the books and sent the books and week with delivery and orchestra man. So I was very focused on this. And I stopped this uh, project completely. I decided, like, I'm not going to do nothing anymore with Bebidas. I'm done. I'm tired. And these people don't get profits. The people of the book, I don't know what to do. And I'm done. That was like uh, yeah, last year. And, but that was very good and put the project like a rest. You mentioned this too, like people saw me like an expert of beverage uh, or like authority. And, but also it's a good responsibility if I share things to make people to try more of this beverage and to avoid more of this type of artificial stuff. So because of that, I decided to come back and do more with this project. Now it's Bebidas of Mexico. But the Bebidas of Oaxaca is alive, the project. I like I move for my um, first ideas that I want to share. So now I'm more careful and respectful for the things that I share. If I'm going to share something, it's something that could help people. They could have more information about a, a place, about a person, about an ingredient, about a cooking technique. But they, they can obtain something. And also we mentioned the people behind of that beverage. And if they're going to Oaxaca, they can reach them. But there's a lot of things more that I want to do with these people. And that's that's why I decided to make this project bigger. Yeah, there is another big change, but there is a lot more, but it was the two big ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, no, I'm sure there were many, many decisions along the way. And I mean, criticism, it's always good if you know how to take it. Some other types of criticism, you just have to ignore it. But sometimes, you know, it helps you really question how and why you want to do things. And um, it, it's kind of echoing as well with the work that I'm sure you know the Fundación Tortilla Rafa who is a pioneer in promoting in the in the digital space all this content but also being very very mindful and very careful and very respectful of people's work you know it's very much aligned with what you were doing like in one hand I'm sharing the tradition and on the other I'm telling people stop eating junk tortillas let's value these because if we don't buy from these people these traditions are going to die and these people will be out of you know a life food etc etc so yes there is a way uh, to do it but i'm sure for you it became like like it hit you hard you know like you said i can see that people can't see your face and 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 it really shows how you shifted and how how you're trying to compel people to at least give these traditional drinks a try. Yes, and it's curious that you mentioned Rafa from Fundación Tortilla because he's a very good friend. He's an amazing guy. He was the one of the main influence in the way that I share and also the, the way that I make collaborations. He gave me a lot of advice because he knows the project before I launched the book. He knows me. He knows part of my process. And before that, I decided to change Bebidas of Mexico. I told him the thing that I'm telling you, like, I want to make this bigger. I want to show people what could happen if they prefer drinking soda, like he's doing with the good tortillas. And I reached him because at the beginning, I was making a bad communication. I was kind of angry and upset with the chef and with the culinary industry. I was very angry with the restaurants because there is no one restaurant. Now there is one restaurant I'm going to mention it. But there was 
artisanal restaurant putting the traditional beverage of the Book of Oaxaca that they have that, that I give to them for, for free because I saw that people like a big promoters of Oaxaca and they are but obviously you cannot promote everything in Oaxaca it's very hard but you can promote part of the culinary industry and beverage is one very important so I ask them you should you should share this I can connect you with the people who prepare beverage you can invite to your restaurant nothing happened so I was kind of angry and my communication started very angry in Facebook and Instagram in my social media and I thought could be a good way that people be aware of that but I was very wrong because it's not the way to share something because we reject that kind of communication also I also reject that kind of communication but in that time I was tired of the project because I was doing everything by myself I received a lot of help and this book is not possible without help of, of many many people but I was kind of angry like why people don't look the traditional beverage why they what they rather to drink a coke and also there is a big problem of water now in Mexico, especially now in Monterrey, is dry season. This is the third day without water. So in the supermarket, there is empty, it's empty. Today I drove like I don't remember how many places, and at the end I could buy four gallons of water because four is the max you can buy in a market per person. So I was discovering, trying to find, obviously, if you make a research, you find more. But what is the, the bad things if, if we keep drinking soda? What is the bad things that that industry is doing? So I make that research and I discover a few things that a lot of people share. It's not only me. I'm, I'm not discovering anything. I just find in the internet. I share that, with him, but in this angry way. So when I when I be aware of what I'm doing, it's not the way I reach Rafa and we talk I said to him, I just want to make bebidas of Mexico like you are doing with Fundación Tortilla. And, and he gave me a very good advice. And he's, he's one of the promoters of corn in Mexico. And I think in Latin America, there's more people, but Rafa is, and his team is doing a great job. We all, as you know, researchers, those who cook, obviously legislators, you know, uh, lawmakers and all that, we, we need to acknowledge publicly all the work he's doing out there. Certainly, I look up to him a lot. And something you mentioned a little bit uh, earlier about how your your work took you from the surface to deep Mexico. And that's something that really comes through in your book. And that's something that really drew my attention. And I was like, I need to talk to him. Like people need to listen how he came to this point. Learn also from the process and your experience. And let's give some context about Deep Mexico. So Mexican anthropologist uh, Guillermo Batalla, he coined this expression Mexico Profundo. Uh, that is the title of one of his most important books. I'm going to put the link. There are versions in English about his book. And like how we, whiter morenos, still morenos, right? But we historically have been detached geographically, culturally, and in many other ways with the other realities of our Mexico. We, we had to and still have to do a lot of work to understand, to go and create these encounters with the real Mexico, with that Mexico profundo that is still very much need of being heard and listened and understood, which is something that you are doing. And again, I see that as you got to that point, uh, which is, you know, also how I view my work, in which food and in your case, these beverages are just an entry point. Could have been pottery, right? Or embroidery. It is just an entry point, really, to start addressing much bigger 
issues of our Mexico and also of ourselves and also of who we are. Because as Mexicans, if the world doesn't know, we have an ongoing identity crisis. You know, it is very much there. And I think, I don't know about you, but certainly my own work has made it worse and made it better at the same time and has helped me sort of find and stand my ground, you know, find more about myself and, and decide what kind of relationship do I want to have with my roots, you know, with, with my African roots, with my Spanish roots, with my indigenous roots, right? And, and what is the responsibility that I need to have uh, when coming in contact with all of these cultures? So what does it Speak about my Mexicanness, Mexicanidad, right? My work. How do I want to portray it? How you want to portray it? What do you want Mexicans who read your book to feel about Mexico? And how do you want non-Mexicans to shift when reading your book? Like, have you thought about that? I'm sure you have. Más o menos. But, um, yeah, the Mexico Profundo is very interesting topic. And... I mentioned sometimes people who visit Oaxaca and also when I visit Oaxaca the first time with my mom, we went there knowing nothing. We just went to the touristic places. We just went to uh, Puerto Escondido in Huatulco in, in the coast. And I didn't know nothing about the traditions. I just saw it kind of feels artificial or fake because we went to downtown and I was happy because I was, okay, this is beautiful. This is way different than and the north, a lot of colors, a lot of flavors. Oaxaca is amazing. Three years before I started the project. So I just had that image in my mind, like this is Oaxaca and that's it. That image is the image that a lot of people have now when they go to Oaxaca. No matter if you're Mexican, no matter if you're American, you have that image like, okay, I'm going to downtown. These houses are beautiful, so many colors. The gastronomy is uh, infinite, it's amazing, but it's not like the deep Mexico, the deep Oaxaca of the deep tradition. Is like just a surface. The peak on the iceberg is Oaxaca downtown. And because of that, a lot of people are want to move to Oaxaca. And that's why there is a lot of foreigners there. And I cannot say nothing bad because my wife, she's from Australia and she moved to Oaxaca. But yes, it's, it's like a point. Like there is a lot of foreigners living in Oaxaca. And also, the money is going to that part only, to the center of Oaxaca. That money is not the same money that people in the towns, in the sierras, in the coast, in the north part. So, so it's not like a, it's not a balance. Yeah, inequality in Mexico in general is very terrible, and in places that are very touristy, like Oaxaca, that also you know is very low, almost bottom line in the index of. Um, uh, human development and you know below the poverty line in many cases all all the income and all the wealth that is generated through tourism obviously stays like you say you know stays in the center Huatulco stays in the center Oaxaca it stays in in just very very few hands and it's not spread evenly of course no. Yeah, and, and that was one of the reasons that I didn't want to share just the things that you can find in Oaxaca City. That's why I went to places like very far, eight hours, seven hours driving, a little bit more into the mountains, like into the wild. I saw these beautiful places. They grow their own food. The water, they go to the mountain and there is uh, this manantial. Oh, right. The spring. Uh-huh. They don't need to buy 
plastic bottles because they have the, the mostly pure water. So that changed my, my perspective. Oh, these people have everything to live, like food, they have water, they have a life in the fields that I envy that life because they are very far from the city. They can see the stars at night. They, they are not poor, so they have everything to live, but also they have needs and it's not like it's not like ah oh, they don't need money. Obviously, everyone needs money because if they want to grow vegetables, they need, they need money for the seeds and they need tools for that. If they want to sell vegetables to the closer town, they need a car, and if they have a car, they need to buy gas. So they need money too. But they are living in in a in a beautiful life, and because of that, I also think, as I said at the beginning, money is not the way to help them. Maybe I could help them to connect with another place that they can sell the vegetables, or they could make workshops of a lot of things, beverages, it could be around food, it could be around a lot of things. Uh, you know, it all started with understanding, uh, creating this uh, opportunity to be in deep Mexico, and just having you facing that reality and then thinking, well, let's rethink poetry. Yeah, because of that, I took pictures of everything, of the kitchen tools that I use and also the houses and the place. You asked me, uh, how do I want the people see this project, Mexicans and foreigners? I just want to show the, the other realities because there is a lot of realities. There is a lot of Mexicos. It's one of 100 of realities that we live in this country. I just want to be aware of that. I, I just want that people, when they saw these pictures that people using a comal or they roasted this ingredient, they don't think like, oh, poor lady, she doesn't have a, a spoon. I don't want to show in a bad way. I want to show the reality that I saw. I just want that when they go to these touristic places in Mexico or in, in another country, I want that they be aware that it's not the reality. It's just a surface in Mexico. It's like, um, this is for gringos. This place is for, for gringos. Like uh, also Cancun, also Playa del Carmen. I'm laughing because you can tell, if you're Mexican, you can tell, oh, this is fake. This is just for gringos. This is just for foreigners. And even they don't have a spicy sauce because the foreigners don't like spicy sauce. So. Yeah, yeah. Right, it's all staged. Yes, it's a, it's a representation. And that doesn't mean that it's bad too because Mexican people are getting profit of that. But also a lot of foreigners are getting profit of that. So I just want with this project to see this book like invitation to know more the things that they can see when they visit a place. For Mexicans, it's the same. Like in Monterrey or in Baja, they are very surprised about my journey. You need to discover by yourself. Yeah. And and I think you do an, an excellent job. But obviously, you realize that images are very powerful, that you decided, okay, this is out of my expertise and, and I need to reach out to someone that knows a bit more than me and get a different perspective and, um, and, and see what comes after that. And that sort of takes me back to when I collaborated in an academic book that was called Authentic Recipes from Around the World. So the premise was very similar to your project. So it was about consuming authenticities, time, place, and the past in the construction of authentic foods and drinks. And in the making of this book, we, we try to analyze and deconstruct many things, many, many big 
uh, issues, including the notion of authenticity, which is now very uh, much in fashion. So this was like your book, a collaborative research. And in this, for this one, I co-wrote a chapter that was on pulque with a friend, Deborah Tona, who, by the way, kind of related to your work, she leads uh, an international, very cool project that is called the Drinking Studies Network. And there was another drink in this book that was also about uh, Welsh craft cider. You know, craft brewing is very big also now in Mexico. You know, we're discussing these things about authenticity, about tradition, you know, all of these things um, linked to food practices. It came up a lot, you know, the role of memory, meaning the past uh, and bringing the past uh, to the present, making this knowledge relevant today. And ultimately, you know, it, it revealed how foods and drinks shape and reflect our culinary identities. We really are what we eat in many ways, and we shape them in our own cultural image as, as well, of course. You know, very much like you discovered, we also analyze the impact of tourism and mass production, and then how tradition is diluted. And also migration, whether it's internal migration and the social tensions, you know, in between different indigenous groups, in between classes, in between, you know, many, many factors that you came across. And, and I think that's when you realize that, oh my God, I think I need some help. And that's when you reached out to Luis Ricardo Bonilla Casarín, who is a culinary researcher and a lecturer. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, was back then working in Tijuana, but now he's in the culinary arts school in uh, San Angel in Ciudad de Mexico, but he's also, you know, continuously doing collaborative projects. So first, you know, people just see the final product, but you know, they're not aware of all the things that had to happen. So how did you find him? How did you decide that you needed help? And what was the collaboration like? Yeah, I find him not because I want to find someone. It was kind of a destiny. Everything happened for a reason. After Canada, I went to Ensenada to visit my family and prepare everything before my journey. So I visit restaurants in Valle de Guadalupe in Ensenada to take pictures of the food for free because I need a portfolio. Because my first idea to make this project profitable, it was, okay, I'm going to travel around Mexico and I'm not going to be able to work a lot. And my first thought was, okay, I'm going to take pictures in the restaurants and maybe I can obtain free food. And also, if someone wants to hire me, I have these pictures to share in my portfolio. So that was the, the first idea. I went to uh, one um, restaurant in Valle Guadalupe and I met a chef. She's from Michoacán and we talk about food, about projects. Cause there's not so many people in, from Michoacán in Ensenada. So I was kind of uh, curious. So she told me, you should reach Ricardo because he was my teacher in culinary art school in Tijuana. He knows a lot. So he's, he's the guy. Well, first I sent a message. Sandra from Once Pueblos is the name of this uh, restaurant. I'm doing this project. She told me, like, you can help me with contacts. And Ricardo, he's from Mexico City. He was very uh, kind of abrupt, I think. Uh, he told me, okay, nice to meet you. Uh, amazing project. What I'm going to obtain with this help that I'm going to give to you? What is going to be my profit? And I was kind of, uh, okay, if you need a photos, I can give you photos for free. So... We have a call, and he was very kind in the call. He was very different. He was, uh, okay, this project is amazing, but he mentioned this. A lot of people reach him with projects, but the projects never succeed. He mentioned this also, that a lot of people reach him, and they don't give him the credit. Because of that, we talk and talk. He said, okay, uh, if you're going to Oaxaca, 
you should reach this uh, person, uh, Sibeles Colmenares and Celia Florian and Ixchel Ornelas, Rogelio Chavez from Putla and a lot of more people. Ricardo told me, like, you already have your editor? And I said, I don't have nothing. I'm going to travel next week. I have my camera and my bag. I don't have nothing. And he asked me, I could be your editor. And I said, yes, you're my editor now. We didn't make a deal at the beginning, but when the projects start getting bigger, we talk and, and that's why I said, okay, what if we do this like in collaboration and Barbos appears on the cover of the book? I don't have a problem with that. Even if it's my idea, even if I travel, I start a blog with this project and in the blog, I put everything that I wrote and the pictures, I send the link of the blog to him. We have 10 beverages now. We have 15 beverages now. We have 25 beverages now. And, and he was like more into the project. This is not fake. It's like he's doing like a research and he started working like a few months before uh, we finished the book. Since the beginning, I told him, I don't want to make this book an academic book. I want that people can read this book like I can read. Like, I don't want like these fancy words. And and I want that you respect the thing that I wrote and you consider the things that you want to add. And then I edit him with the things that he wrote. So we, it's a collab. At the beginning, he wrote a lot of pages of introduction, a lot of pages of ingredients he wrote. He's a writer, so... He wrote a lot and I was, no, 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 this is too much. We need to make a, a summary of that. Even though the book is like, it's a big book. It was a good collaboration. Also, Cuauhtémoc Peña, he's the editor of the book because we make this edition, but like, uh, like in-house. But before you publish a book, you need an editor specialized in that specific topic. Cuauhtémoc Peña, he is an amazing editor and he correct us. It was a pain at the beginning because Cuauhtémoc is a professional guy. He was an amazing editor. Like I say, one thing is make the book and one other thing is to sell the book and one other thing is, is like the, the ego part. Like, okay, this is my project. It's just going to be my name. It's like, I'm very happy to share this cover with Ricardo. The other thing is the videos that I made, the photos and the podcast. So I don't, ha I don't have help in that. So that's why it's like just uh, Shaba Cueva. Uh, with this collaboration, like you mentioned, obviously two people think different and no one reads the mind of the other. When we launched the pre-sale of the book, Ricardo, he made a mistake and he recognized that. He shared the, this is my book, this is my project. And he knows a lot of people, important people, uh, big chefs. So those chefs were sharing the same, like, one friend, a very good friend I want to mention, he reached Ricardo personally. Now the things are very cool. Now the things are very cool. But this is this is one thing that if you're going to collaborate, you should talk very clear with your partner. So this friend, he told me, Ricardo is doing this. He didn't need to do it in this way. He reached Ricardo to tell him, like, this is Chava's project. You shouldn't mention that it's your book and Big Chef shouldn't mention either. Now it's funny, but the beginning was kind of a stress, like, because I was like, uh, if I didn't mention nothing, we could have uh, problems in the future. I said to him, like, Ricardo, I am not happy, like, the way that you're sharing this. And he was aware, so he was, okay, problem solved. Nothing happened. And after that, uh, he shared in a different way. It was a learning curve, no? I mean, it was new for you. Yes, of course, of course. People might not know, but he, uh, in some of the books that are actually free, the series of uh, traditional cookbooks, and he co-wrote a book. 
that is about the cuisine of uh, Baja California del Sur. But this is an academic research, so obviously a commercial one would have been new for him. And, you know, but I really like how candidly you are sharing this because, you know, we just buy books as consumers. Like I say, we don't know, like, all the things that have to happen and all the problems and all the talks and all the negotiations that have to happen for these things to, to exist. And that is just one of them. And I think it's, it's great, obviously, that you were able to have this open communication and that he recognized that and that moved forward. And like you said, now we are looking forward writing many books. Yes, it's at the beginning also, I was writing my blog to share this. The narrative was very personal. Like I wrote in first person my experience with the travel, with this journey. And also Ricardo told me like, you are writing more about your experience that is good, it's not bad. But if you write in a different way, what can we do? So that's why I decided, that's why I mentioned like you should fight with your ego too because uh, the important thing was to share the content. So that's why the style of the writing is in a kind of educational perspective, in a very open. And if I want to, if I want to use in a personal perspective, I'm going to use the social media. And that is way different than a book. So that was another thing that I changed in this book. This kind of writing could change the perspective of the people. You can have the same journey and you can share in a different ways this journey. Yeah. But you know what? You're onto something. Don't ditch that idea of writing like an appendix book of the original. There, there's someone that I really love to hate and I hate to love. <laughs> That is uh, René Redzepi, you know, this, this cook from Noma, which, you know, I have my harsh opinions on, uh, you know, a lot of what he did in Yucatan anyways. But we clearly also the man, you know, has some of his genius. But anyways, he wrote this book, the Noma cookbook. And then afterwards, because he has so much material, he wrote this uh, second book, which is like the making of the book with all his notes and is like a like a field diary, you know, like, like what you had initially. And yeah, you know, you had to find your voice and how you wanted to communicate. And, and then it ended up being the very enticing and accessible book that it is. And I'm sure because, you know, the way you put your message and your content out that is very friendly, it's very personal, but also very relatable in many ways. I'm sure people reach out to you. I mean, people reach out to me all the time. I want to document my family's recipes, you know, try to give them advice. But I'm sure people approach to you with other interests and worries and uh, what, what has been the response? We're talking about the process of making your journey, what changed and all this big build-up to make uh, this book and they put it out there. But what has been the response? What have people said to you? How they reach out to you and what do they ask? Mostly specific of Oaxaca. A lot of people reach me on social media and they ask me, oh, recommend me a, a place to stay in Oaxaca or recommend me a restaurant, any kind of different themes outside of the book. I make some suggestions sometimes, but I think that if I'm going to make a suggestion, it's going to be related with beverage. But also I have received uh, people that this book inspired them to travel or to take pictures, start selling beverage, or they ask me, like, how do you do in social media? How do you share all of this content? And I answer very honest, like, for travel is, if you have an idea, and you need to just do it and just travel. Because sometimes we think that because we are not an expert in a topic, we are not allowed to share things related with a topic that is in my case. My first time that I saw a comal, it was in Oaxaca. And before that, 
already have this idea to make this book of the traditional beverage. My first time that I tried traditional beverage was in Oaxaca. So before of that, I had the idea to go in to take pictures. But you cannot focus in the whole journey. You focus on the first step, like what you need to do first. Okay, after that, you're trying to reach more people and knocking one door and knocking another door. And a lot of doors are going to be closed. That happens to me at the beginning. It was very hard. It's not easy. I suggest the people is like, if you're going to commit to this project, you need to commit like 110% to this. Uh, you need to do a lot of sacrifice. You need to know that this is a lot of time investment, money investment could be, but sometimes it's like the money that you put never come back, but it's not the main goal. You need to be very clear about your goal. My goal is to share the preparation of this beverage. That's it. If something good can came after that very welcome and i'm gonna do my best to share that with more people and that's why i start writing the the newsletter i'm gonna keep doing that because now it's kind of abandoned that because i have more work and that is another thing that uh, now that i mentioned i mentioned that you need to do a lot of sacrifice and i did this project in two years a little bit less since i have the idea to i make the launch of the book in just two years because I didn't look on other things. In Oaxaca, you know Oaxaca. So if you if you know Oaxaca, you go in there, you know that if you're going to a place, you're going to see a lot of new things. Traditions, culture, food, you're going to see a lot of things. So I was kind of overwhelming at the beginning. As a photographer, I want to take pictures of everything. I was like, okay, I'm going to take pictures of this artesano, or this food, or this uh, tradition, or this event, this party, this ritual, everything. And I was talking with myself, no, your, your goal here is beverage. And I was like a horse, like a focus goal. I was thinking, no, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it as soon as possible because I don't have money to do it. And if I take more time, I need more money. That wasn't an option. Another thing that helped me is I didn't have a girlfriend at that time. So that was helpful in a way that you have a complete time just to your projects. But that doesn't mean that if you have a wife that I have now, that doesn't mean that I cannot do another project like this. Just be aware, like, if you need to share your time with more people or more projects, obviously, this project is going gonna, gonna to take you more time. So that's why I finished the project in two years. I was living with my savings. And also, I was coming here to Monterrey to spend the, uh, Christmas with my best friend. But 23 of December, I met my business partner. And like as Ricardo, the universe connect us in a way that if I asked for that, it wouldn't have happened. A friend invited me to a lunch. It was a birthday. My friend, he was part of this uh, catering. And I was, at that time, going to uh, parties to connect people, try a lot of mezcal. So I went to the place and I was sitting and in front of me was the wife of my, of my business partner. We started talking and they asked me like, uh, oh, what are you doing here? Where are you from? And, and we started talking about traditional beverage and the pride appears. Uh, the magic happens and we connect. We drink a lot of mezcal too. By now, I'm not drinking anymore. I have one year and a half that I'm not drinking uh, alcohol. I quit. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I stopped drinking alcohol after many years and I was like, I'm, I'm done. I drank my, my share. I'm retiring. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I drank, I think I drank for three people because yeah. in Oaxaca, for three lives because in Oaxaca, <laughs> You drink a lot. So I'm, I'm very happy. I feel amazed. So we drink and this guy told me, your project is amazing. How can I help you? 
and I want to be part of it. This guy told me, uh, what are you going to do now? By then, it was kind of a 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. It was and my flight at the next day was kind of 8 a.m. I said to him, I'm just going to my place and I'm going to sleep because I have my flight tomorrow. Don't worry. So after that, it was uh, this guy just was drunk. A lot of people, when we drunk, say like we promise a lot of things and nothing happens after. So I was like uh, thinking that, but I feel a connection with him. So in New Year's, I sent a message to him like, I'm going to come back to Oaxaca. What can we do? We should have a meeting. By then, I was trying to put the project on post because I didn't have money. My savings ran out, so they appear in the perfect time. When I come back, we have a meeting and they say, we can give you a car when you need a car. Because I was traveling in solo bike, in a public transport. You can take pictures for our business and we can pay you for that. So I have an income for that. So that income helped me to finish the book and also finish my travel with this car. Because the car changed everything in Oaxaca, really. It was all very serendipitous for you. Then. Yeah, my advice to the people who want to start a project they don't need to think in the money because if you are doing your project with your heart, the money came after. So my business partner, he paid a big part of the print because the print to make a book is the expensive part. Without him, I could make a crowdfunding or something, but it was way easier with him. So if you want to start a project, you just do it. And in the way, you're going to make a lot of mistakes, but they're going to be a big lessons. And you're going to make a, that mistakes just once. That is the, the good thing about mistakes. It's the best way to learn, like, do things by yourself, improve, and that's it. It's for everything, not just for this project. If you want to take pictures, I give the same advice. If you want to make, you know, no podcast or any another kind of project, just start. Like, one step gives you another step and, and so on. Mm-hmm. I think uh, in the end, like you say, it just boils down to, well, three things in, in my experience. So I've also have had my boyfriend by my side coaching me since day one and like pushing me like, just do it, just do it. Come on. <laughs> What's the worst thing that can happen? And so it's these three things. Find your why. Why are you doing it? So being very clear, like you said, just have that focus because, you know, there, you will come across many things that, that you will be attracted to, but just, you know, keep in mind why. Find your why. Why are you doing it? And then ask yourselves, why does it matter, right? If you're, if you're going to do something like content or a book or a project for people to, to buy, well, it has to have some value. So why it matters, right? Just because it's nice doesn't mean that it matters. So find why it matters so that people will get something out of it, right? So it is the, is the why, why doing it, why it matters, and then why should people care? So And, and that's the message that, that you have to create in your platforms right why people should care about these beverages why should what i mean what's so important about chocolate drink what's so important about you know just one agua fresca de piña like why it's all the first well the whole first is that you came to understand that it's supporting long-standing family traditions that is supporting the memory the identity and well that's me putting words there because i've already read the book you know but you've been sharing uh, so much of your journey and how you find your voice, how you transition from, you know, a commercial background to find uh, yourself into uh, doing documental photography, capturing life and traditions. But for people, something we haven't touched that much is your podcast. Now that we're talking about the why should people care 
and why it matters. Tell people why they should listen to your podcast, uh, Bebidas de Mexico, and what kind of content you're putting out there. Yeah, that is kind of a tricky question. I agree with you. But if you're doing something like we are in social media and sometimes we share something and sometimes we have two likes, three likes, then why uh, we should care about this? First, when I changed that, it changed everything because I was kind of overwhelming of social media and I was kind of a why people don't drink this traditional beverage and I was wrong because I was looking to the other side. The main side was why Shava Cueva want to share this. So why why Shava Cueva care about this and what I care about this photo or this caption and this story. And if I share something that I really care, that is going to hit another person and that's going to hit another person and so on. So I'm not doing this for people. I'm doing this for me. Sounds very selfish, but is the way that helped me to don't hear bad voices or don't put attention in social media. I'm doing this because I want to help people in a good way. Also, my main goal is, is help the people that appear on the book. I care a lot about them. But if I don't like the project, no matter how much I want to help that people, if I don't like the project, it's like nothing matters. So that's why I mentioned this selfish uh, phrase, like first care about what you want and what you like and share that. It's like this analogy that a lot of people do in the airplanes. Like when if something happens, if a turbulence happens in the airplane, if you're traveling with a kid, first you're going to use the mask and then you're going to put the mask on your kid. If you're not going to be able to help someone, it's like, I don't know if I'm, I'm making a mistake with this. I, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Like if, you, if you're not buying what you're doing. Exactly. If it's not important to you, and if you don't have that sense of urgency and say like, you know, I care so much about this, or I'm so passionate about this, that I want you to be passionate about, well, if I'm not buying it, no one is going to buy it. Like, just simple as that. Yeah, it's the best way is share with the example and people are gonna think like why this person is very passionate about this project i'm i'm speaking about any kind of project why this person is very passionate what is on that i want to know and they are committed why people should uh, hear the podcast or should buy the book this book is not just about the beverage it's about the deep mexico that we mentioned before it's about traditions it's about people it's about ancient culture, about uh, mixed cultures, because a lot of ingredients and cooking techniques are not only of Mexico, and we need to be very aware of that. And the truth is like we are a mix of everything. It's not that we have 100% just one culture. So it's a mix with ingredients or with the cooking techniques or with the techniques, techniques that people grow, the ingredients, or there is a mix. So you can see where the ingredients came from and where the where the cooking techniques came from. And also you can see one reality different than reality that you are going to see if you're going to just Oaxaca City. So if you like to travel, this book is for you because you're going to see a lot of pictures. The most important thing, I believe, is the, the gastronomy and the culinary part because chefs are, um, you mentioned that before, like uh, people see the chefs like they are the main ones in the gastronomy industry and they have the last word if you are a chef this book is for you because because you don't know nothing we don't know nothing about the deep gastronomy in mexico usually chefs know the least <laughs> yes 
Yes, uh, I mentioned this and I'm very aware because there is a lot of shifts that they just going to the surface. And if you want to learn more, it's like, I don't know another person that are sharing about traditional beverage of, of Oaxaca. So you're going to Oaxaca to try the mole. Everyone knows mole already, but not everyone knows Pozontle, Taberna, Tepache con Rojo, Pulque, even the, the Pulque of Oaxaca is different than the Pulque of Hidalgo. Not everyone knows Tejate and Chocolate Atole, Chilatole, Chilatole Verde. There is 77 beverage on the book. So big chefs trying to emulate, to do the same thing that the other big chefs is doing and a small chefs has copied them. I'm not saying that it's bad because there's an amazing book called Still Like an Artist and it's Austin Cleon is the author. You need to make your own voice. and But people, they don't make their own voice because they thought like the principal chef in Mexico is uh, Enrique Olvera. And a lot of people are trying to do the same thing that he is doing. And I mentioned him because I saw the thing that he's doing with Pujol, that is an amazing project too, it's nothing bad. But the bad thing is a lot of people are trying to do the same thing in different places and focus on one thing, like make just one dish, very expensive, small portions, a lot of courses, that's it. But if you're a chef and if you see this book, you can have like a three or four courses of beverage and no one is doing that. So it's kind of an invitation. And so this book is for, I would like to say for everyone, but it's not for everyone. So people who like food, travel, photos, and traditions and culture of Mexico. Is Jesus a drop in the ocean? I mean... <laughs> My job, I guess, here is to say that, uh, no, your book is doing a great service. Your book is filling up a vacuum that, that existed. There's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like I mentioned in the introduction of the episode, writing about Mexico is very fashionable these days. And just because it's fashionable doesn't mean that it's good and doesn't mean that everything that has been put out there is, is relevant or is worthy. I, I do want to make the case that, that your book is, is actually a, a very, very important addition, but also to have a different understanding, a much broader and richer comprehension about you know what it means Means and what it takes to have these traditions surviving today. Because you talk about the struggles, you talk about the worries of the people, you talk about the challenges they face, you know, all this economy that happens behind the scenes. And we need more books like yours that actually put the emphasis not on the food or the or in this case the beverage, but in the people who are the carriers of these traditions. You know, you can go to that big chef restaurant and have a plate of mole for 500 pesos, but you never get to see the face of the cook that taught these chefs how to make mole. That for me is, is that for me is absolutely important. And if I don't get that, and like you said, if they if they're not worried and committed about giving back, I'm not going there. I'm going to buy your book, and that's why people should buy it, and that's why people should listen to your podcast uh, uh, because you're also having as guests. Not only people that have been in the book, but, but people that will be, I'm hoping, in future books and future projects, which takes us to the next thing. What is in the future for Shava and your many projects ahead? I'm going to finish the second season next week, hopefully, because I travel a lot these days and I travel from Baja to Oaxaca. The podcast, it couldn't be possible if I couldn't have 
the help of Lusa, who helped me with a lot of research and with the summaries of this. We're going to finish the second season next week, and I'm going to make a pause maybe for two months to start the third season, Bebidas of Mexico. Uh, it's going to be a web page of Bebidas of Mexico that we are going to share different beverages of the whole country, and we are going to try to make collaborations with people from every state. Yeah, it could be writers, could be photographers, could be with interviews, but we are going to have this platform to share. I'm going to continue living in Oaxaca for a couple of more months. You can follow us like Bebidas de Mexico, and the podcast is Bebidas de Mexico. It's in Spanish, but the platform I want to share in the two languages, Spanish and English, because a lot of people who speak English, they want to know a lot of these traditions. And it happens in Mexico that sometimes foreigners are more aware of the traditions than Mexicans. That's why I want to share in the second language, obviously to reach more people too, and to spread the word. And that is another project that's coming. So it's going to be the third season September and also the webpage of Bebidas de Mexico. I'm going to change the newsletter, but just now for Bebidas um, de Mexico. And yes, if someone wants to collaborate with the project, it's very welcome to, to join us. The links to reach out to you are on the description on, on this episode. So people can connect with you, reach out via email, social media. Yeah, I'm sure people will reach out. I hope many people reach out to you, obviously. Of course, you have my full support. If anything, I can, I can help. I cannot emphasize enough how beautiful the content you create is. Going back to you know, why we do the things in the way we do it. Uh, when I first started with my podcast and my ebooks and, you know, the content I make, I decided to do it in English because I was very worried. And I realized that also there was a vacuum for deep, serious, not superficial, but quality content about uh, Mexican gastronomy and traditions and, and Mexican culture that was produced from a Mexican standpoint in English. Because most of what we consume now in Mexico is not written by Mexicans. And then we Mexicans complain that non-Mexicans know the wrong version and why because we don't do we don't produce the content in a language that is accessible for most people so I decided right I'm not going to wait for the world to, to learn Spanish so I'm going to put it out there in English is that a challenge for me yes is there a need and I think it's important yes So I'm going to do it. But when we're talking about, you know, not, not caring that much about what people say or what their opinions are, like, oh, why do you do it in English? Because I can. And because I think it's important. Yeah, it's very important. And, it's, and yeah, you mentioned about the books. There is a lot of books about tequila and mezcal. The story, the way that they're growing, the plants, the agaves, but are written by foreigners, so are written by people from U.S. or people from minority countries is one of the motivations to to do this in Spanish first, but I also want to do it in English and to do it like why Mexicans are not are not looking this side of Mexico. Uh, it's like no matter what, how this project could be bigger or smaller, but I want to do the things that makes me happy. If I help a family, it's going to make me very, very happy. So 
it's going to be a, um, a way that you're making this podcast in English. It's going to, this is saying to the Mexicans, you should do more things. You should do more things. Could be podcasts about gastronomy, could be podcasts about another topic, but you should do more things because Mexicans are not putting attention to the things that we have in Mexico. People outside of Mexico, they're putting more attention to, to the things in Mexico. And it's a, it's a shame, but it's, it's a reality. Yeah. And it's important to have our own voice heard, our own opinions and, and our own analysis and our own critique about ourselves. Because in doing so, you know, we, we learn and we grow and we become, you know, more mature as a culture and learn to, to talk with the world. We, here in Mexico, we tend to, to talk uh, just among ourselves and we don't know how to take criticism and we don't know how to dialogue with other cultures in different languages. We're very comfortable just Oh, come and admire our country. Yeah, well, you know, yes, of course. we need to, to go beyond that. And, and yes, yes, lead by example, like you say, lead by example. And uh, Chava, thank you so much for your time. I took up all of your evening. And it's fine. I'm very happy. As content creators as well, funny as it seems, we don't get many chances to talk about our work, as you know, and to have people asking us these questions. We're not used to. Yes, I was going to say that because I had a lot of interviews uh, by this time. Like, um, in July is going to be four years that I started the project, and I start having interviews after 2020, after the launch of the book. But they ask the same questions. And they don't go deep as you did. You make a wonderful, wonderful job with these questions and you go deep and you go to other sides of the story that I want to share that I want to sometimes scream on Instagram or Facebook. Like, I want to share this, but no one cares about it. They just want to care like, oh, how many copies did you make? Um, how much it costs? Or... How long it took you to make this and this kind of okay, this is important too, but there is a more there is more questions that you can go in a project, not only this one, in a lot of that. So uh, you make a wonderful job with this question. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Because like in your book, in these interviews, you, the people who put the work out there, are important to me. And your stories are important for me and I think it's really really key for people to listen to that so uh, I thank you for opening your heart to, to do this very uh, rich conversation I'm, I'm very very happy of course we we want you to have money to do more projects so people need to buy your book and ebooks hello you never run out of ebooks so <laughs> people in English get their book in English give it as a gift you can also give it as a gift do the beverages If you can travel to Oaxaca, subscribe to the podcast, follow uh, Shava on, on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube, everywhere. Share his work because it's important. And uh, that's nothing left for me to add, but uh, continue having the stars aligned for you. So that's my wish. <laughs> Thank you a lot. I, was here. I, wish, I wish you the best too. I'm, I'm going to wait for the next episode that you're going to have with amazing people to hear. So thank you a lot of for your support on this project. Adios. Bye-bye, Shava. Thank you for listening. This episode was produced and presented by me, Rocío Carvajal. 
the contact details, social media of Chava, as well as the links to get the beautiful book Beverages of Oaxaca in English or Spanish are on the notes of today's episode, which you can find on your podcast app. And on that list, you will also find links to get the books we mentioned during our conversation, some of which were Deep Mexico or Mexico Profundo, Reclaiming a Civilization by Mexican anthropologist Guillermo Bonfil Batalla and the very enticing book Still Like an Artist. If you haven't subscribed to my newsletter, well, let me give you three good reasons to do so. First, it is free. Second, it only comes out when I release an episode of the podcast, so there's no spammy content at all. And third, I always add and suggest accompanying references, books, shows, articles and resources that I have found useful and happily share them with you. The link to subscribe to my newsletter is also on the notes of the show. As I was editing this episode, I was packing up again but this time I will be crossing the ocean blue and we'll share postcards from the other side on Instagram. So make sure you follow me over there. Well, that's it for today. I raise my glass for you, my friends. Until the next time. <laughs>